Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Thank you. Good morning, folks. It's good to be back with you again. And happy Father's Day to all you dads. It is, and uh, we're glad to have you. In fact, if you're a father, I want to ask you to do something. Would you stand for me? Your dad, granddad, you know, that means you had children, so you understand. If you need to punch your wife, find out about that, that's good to do it. But understand, I want you to stand just a moment. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Let's give him a hand. It's great to see our dads here, okay? Thank you, fellas. God bless you. We kind of get the time. This is your day, so let's pray for you, okay? Father God, thank you for these men. Thank you for dads. We all have dads, granddads, and fond memories. Some are with us, some are in glory. But Father, most importantly, they've made an impact on our life, and I pray that's been a good one. And I pray, Father God, for these men today, that, Lord, you'll encourage their hearts. That, Father, they'll realize how important they are to the family, and how important they are to their children, and the legacy they can leave, Lord, behind as they pass it on to them. And Father, we bless you today, and I pray, God, you'll take charge in our service today. Honor our men, honor our dads and our granddads, and Lord, just be especially real in each and every heart we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Brother Ryan, I think he's still off kind of resting a little bit, catching up on some time. That's good. It's good to be back with you. I promise you, we did not bring the rain from, and, uh, from uh, Simpsonville. Uh, you left it here for us, so uh, it's a good thing today. Psalm 127, if you will, this morning. Psalm 127. I want to deal with the message. A little different for me, the greatest gift a father can give. What is the greatest gift that you can give to your wife, to your children? What is it? Think about that just a moment. Be a little different. It's going to be a little more topical and more than I'm normally 99% exposition is what I do, kind of verse by verse what the Word says, but this morning I want to just kind of do a little practicality, sort of speak to you a little bit from my heart of psalm as we look at this reality of the greatest gift that a father can give. And you know, really, when you think about it, dads, we give many gifts to our families, especially to our children. You know, but when you think about it, the greatest gift, obviously, Christians, we have received a gift. The Lord, our Father, our Heavenly Father, has given us His Son, Jesus Christ, who came to be among us, who lived a perfect life, who went to the cross on our behalf, he who knew no sin became sin in order that you and I might become the righteousness of God. And he did that. And gloriously God honored that and he brought him forth from the dead, resurrected, which he foretold and he promised as he was here on earth. He ascended back to the Father and he waits there to come again one day to us. But you know, when you think about that, that is something you and I as dads ought to be responsible, telling our children, certainly tell them how they can come to have this eternal life, how they can know this Savior that we know. But you know, the bottom line of it is this. While it is so important for us to impart that truth, you and I cannot make that decision for anybody else, especially our children. That's something they have to do, other people have to do on their own. We tell them how. We sort of bring them to the door, but they're going to have to walk in. And they're going to have to become a part of that reality of Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Master. So, we can't make that decision, but what can we give them? We give them gifts. But what are the most important gifts we can give them? You think about it just a moment. A couple of words, unconditional loving acceptance. Think about that. Unconditional loving acceptance. Aren't you glad that God loved us and loves us unconditionally, has accepted us unconditionally when you think about it, who we are? That's grace. That is mercy. And that's the blessing you and I have as a child of God. We know that today. But unfortunately... Sometimes fathers don't really give that kind of unconditional love that's there. You know, it's sort of like, I'll love you when, I'll love you if, I'll love you but. That's not unconditional love. Unconditional love says, listen, no matter what you do, no matter the bad, how many bad choices you make, I still love you. 
doesn't mean we just ignore the fact, but we still love that person. We love our children. We love our sons. We love our daughters, no matter what they do. But sadly, many children grow up in a home. Quite frankly, they receive rejection. In fact, you know, one of the greatest problems today is child abuse. Child abuse, abuse physically, child abuse mentally, child abuse emotionally that'll be there. Verbal abuse, saying those kind of things, those words that'll be there, those subtle little things that are there. What that does, that destroys self-esteem. That destroys self-image. That destroys who we really are in God's eyes. God doesn't do that to us when he does that. And you think about it, there's those subtle kind of rejections that'll be there, those times of not so subtle, sort of overt rejection, if you will, ugly, harmful words. Like, you know, we don't want you. We didn't want you. You're never going to amount to anything whatsoever. And that's tragic because what that does, that kind of sticks in our mind a little bit. There's subtle rejection, kind of making uh, every decision for your child. You say, well, why is, that why is that important? Well, it is important that we don't make every decision for our child because what we're saying to them is this. We really don't trust you. We don't believe you're grown up enough, so I'm going to make those decisions for you. And what that does, that puts that image in their life that says, hey, I can't be trusted. I'm not important. I really don't know how to handle it, so I've got to depend on mom and I've got to depend on dad. Then there's that unintentional direction, uh, rejection, so that you live with insult, each of us, the child that'll be there with. Go back through those times of hurts that we endure. And you know, there's no way sometimes to endure those things. It's kind of like a tape recording that plays in our mind because we remember those things that they say. I'm reminded that uh, Charles Stanley shared one time about a, a particular illustration that he used, and it was a, a visit he had, and we've all had him as a pastor, I've had him too, I can use personal. But he said it was a man who came to him that was just having all kind of problems, he was middle age, and he just couldn't seem to get a hold of a lot of things in his life. He was having problem upon problem upon problem. So Dr. Stanley said, um, tell me a little about your childhood. And the man said, you know, without hesitation, he said, I remember something, I was 10 years old. I remember hearing my mom and dad arguing in another room, and I was listening, but I remember my father saying something. Well, we really didn't want him anyway. Now what that did, that little old tape recording in his mind started playing. It recorded that message. Here it is years and years and years later, and guess what? That tape recording was still playing. That would be there, always going on, so we don't know sometimes those hurtful words that we can say. Paul, that's why Paul said, listen, Ephesians 4.29, he said, let no unwholesome speech or unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is what? Good and edifying. Psalm 127, I want to read to you five verses, that's all it is. And this is going to kind of be the launch text, so to speak, this morning as we look at it. And it's a passage you're familiar with, Psalm 127, those first five verses. you got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. If you've got a Bible in front of you in the pew, get that too, follow along with us. But he said, unless the Lord builds a house, those that lay, build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and you go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the room, womb is to reveal. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not put to shame or be put to shame when he speaks with them and his enemies of the gate. Speaks of them. So, you know, and, and by the way, I don't know what a quiver is. I really don't, how full the quiver is. I know it's a bunch of errors in the quiver, so if your quiver is full, amen. But I don't know how to define that one for you. I don't, they don't, and really, I don't know anybody that does. It's kind of one of those terminologies that we don't know. But it's a blessing to the Lord that will be there. So parental love, that love that is there, is there. It is that reflection that we're to give because we're to reflect agape love of the Father to our kids. And our kids are to receive that so that they'll understand somewhat that what God is really like. But tragically, people, dads especially, and children grow up feeling rejected. And they regard themselves as, you know, I'm unworthy. I'm really unimportant. I'm unloved. 
I'm almost unnecessary. Now, you may be feeling that today. I don't know. I hope not. I pray not. Looking back, this is not in any way to call any castigation on any parent or any situation that will be there. This is not one of those beat you up type of things that will be there. This is an encouragement to all of us to move on in their lives. Every aspect of their life can be what? Affected by what? The misconception, the misrepresentation, misinterpretation of the words we hear and then planted in our life. You know, I don't belong. I'm unworthy. And I am incompetent. And you know, you think of some of those things that will be there. I guess all of us could give those testimonies that will be there. But you know, one of the things that our children need so desperately to hear, and we're burdened in such a way that we need to give that kind of love that will be there. What I want to do this morning is share with you in the next few minutes five vital situations, just five, that can be the greatest gift that dads can give to their own children and to their own wives that will be there. Now, I'm going to give you a single word, and I'm going to kind of explain that word that will be there. So you'll understand these words a little bit, and I'll kind of take some from the text that will be here as we look at it. The first word is the word provision. You know, loving acceptance does what? It provides what? It provides a proper biblical image of God. And he said in that first two verses in Psalm 1 and 20, he said, unless the Lord builds a house. Those that build it labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and you go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives us rest. We ought to do it. Now, when you think about it, what's the first impression that a child has of his heavenly father? The first impression is what he gets from his earthly father. That can be a good representation. You say, well, wait a minute, I'm not perfect. No, I know that. Our Heavenly Father is perfect. We're not perfect. But there's a lot we can do to give the right understanding. Provision, protection, those things we're doing. We're providing for those people. We're helping them out of the goodness of our hearts. We guide them. They, they feel worthy. They feel complete. They feel competent. And they're highly motivated to serve the Lord. You know, that's why that we can say as we lead them in the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven. Why do we say that? Our Father who art in heaven. Well, we have a heavenly Father, but we also have an earthly Father. And as earthly fathers, we have a great responsibility as we sort of mold and shape those kids. But on the other hand, the other side of that coin is this. Here's Dad. He's too busy. And by the way, you can be an absentee father and still be in the home. A lot of that today. They're absent because they're busy, 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 demanding, kind of, you know, they give an incorrect image of what God is really like. It's always a performance basis. Do, 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 this kind of thing that'll be there, you know. And it's not exactly what God gives to us to do. And what's happening, likely, that child is going to transfer that image of God from his heavenly father or his earthly father to his heavenly father. And it might go like this. Let me, and I wrote this down. He said, you know, if I perform up to expectation, only then will the Lord accept me. But since dad is harsh, God must also be harsh and condemning and judgmental. There is no way I could ever live up to his standards. That's tragic, isn't it? Did you ever think about that? All of us. And the truth of it is, if I had to live up to his standards, no. In fact, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, read the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus said is really impossible for us to do in the flesh, in the natural. We can only do it by the grace of God and by the Holy Spirit speaking through our lives. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, and such. It comes because the Holy Spirit produces that fruit. We don't produce it naturally. He produces this in us. So the first thing is provision. But the second word is the word pays. Now, what do I mean by pays? I say, well, unqualified love paves the way for a child to trust Jesus Christ early in his life as his Savior. You know, for a long time, as a pastor, I'd always think, you know, five or six, that's really young. That is really young. My youngest daughter, my, my last child, kind of put me to the test. I never forget that she was five years old, and she stayed after us and after us, and finally her mother prayed with her 
one night of this, she prayed and received Christ as her Savior. And I didn't think anything about that. I said, well, that's great. Praise the Lord. I'm excited. But she's young, and, you know, she's only five, and did she really mean it? I mean, what can a five-year-old do? You know, truthfully. I know you parents say, man, you don't know my five-year-old. Well, I, I can't help you there, but uh, they can do some things. But anyway, the amazing thing happened to me, and she said, Daddy, I want to be baptized. I said, honey, you, don't, you, know, you need to wait. You need to understand what baptism is. And I explained it to her. Well, on and on, on a Sunday night, I was standing down, had, had given the invitation, and as I did, I, just, I had my head bowed, I was praying, and all of a sudden, you know how you feel this presence? And I looked down, and there were those big brown eyes looking straight up at me. And her mom was with her. She said, honey, she drugged me out of the pew. Down the aisle she came. Now, she was not baptized at five. In fact, it was not until she was about eight. We just let her say that point, and when she really felt like it, she wanted to do it. But you see, there's a time that we preparate that. We prepare them. But you think about that. You think about a child that receives the other. They don't feel love. They don't feel acceptance. Do they really want to be a part of that family? And boy, the preacher or somebody gives that thing, that invitation to be there, but it's confusing. It's conflicting. Because, hey, wait a minute. That's not like, because my earthly father is not like that. What you're telling me my heavenly father is, is not my earthly father. I just can't measure up. He's the only example I've got to go by. So you see, they provide that and accept it because you see, if a son or a daughter grows up in a home where they're lovingly accepted, now I don't mean they get away with everything, okay? But they're lovingly accepted, they're brought into that nurture and admonition of the Lord that Paul speaks about, and understanding they're going to want what Daddy wants. They're going to want Daddy's Savior. They're going to want Daddy's God. So fathers, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility of provision. We have a responsibility to pay but here's the third thing. We also have one of protection. Now, when you think a promotion, I'm sorry, promotion. Unconditional acceptance promotes a healthy self-esteem. Look at verse 3 in Psalm 127. Look what he says. He says, now behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So think about that. They are a heritage to us. They are a gift that will be there. And if you think about it, you go back to, uh, I think it's Mark, Mark chapter 4, when uh, James and John were there, Jesus came along and said, you know, follow me. Now, they could have acted differently than they did. We know they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus, but they could have said, you know, hey, listen, uh, thank you for coming, but we're not educated fishermen after all, and, you know, we're just really kind of social outcasts. Uh, We'd love to follow you, but you're the Messiah, and we know you wouldn't even associate with people like me. But they didn't. They dropped their nets and said, we're going to follow you. We followed him. Why? Well, instead of immediately doing that, uh, doing that, they followed the Lord. So why were they? Well, I believe these two young men grew up in a home, and I don't know this for a fact, but more than likely they did. Their earthly father did what? He built self-esteem into their life. He encouraged them. He continued to give them uplifting edification to be that confidence and the ability to make those decisions and when he left they were willing to follow Jesus no matter what they didn't argue didn't question but they followed him they followed him so you see there had to be that kind of promotion that would be there in their life that would be there but regrettably regrettably many many parents don't do that regretfully what they do their child's self-image is confused it's confused by the actions. It's confused by the personhood. It's one thing to say, you know, your behavior is not in keeping with who you are. And by the way, we do that. You know, that sends a positive message. But, you know, you think about this. Another would say, well, you're no good. Or you'll never measure up. Or you'll never amount to anything. And I know young men that have lived with that. And that, boy, that stings. It's like an arrow to our heart. It stays there. It doesn't go away. It continues. That little recording keeps going on and on in our mind. When a child misses the mark, how much more edifying would it be to say, listen, don't worry about that. I know you messed up. I know you didn't make it, but don't worry. You'll have another chance. You'll do better the next time. Yeah, you teach them. There's a teachable moment that'll be there, but don't beat them up. Don't do that. And you see, parents have a tremendous, tremendous responsibility. Because our responsibility is God gives us children. He said they're a gift 
fruit of the womb is a gift. They're a gift to you. So mold them, shape them. You want to point them to Jesus. Folks, that's not true in a lot of cases today. And you and I know, parents, we have that responsibility to do that. The world is not going to educate your children properly. No, it's not. The world is not going to give you the picture of what Jesus Christ is. The world is not going to do anything that builds up the church and your responsibility at home. They're not going to do that. They want to mold your children and shape them into what? Responsible citizens? Well, that's good. But the reality is responsible to who and responsible to what? Think about that. We have a God-given choice. We have a God-given responsibility. The Lord has given us these kids. And I know that children sometimes are born in unfortunate situations. I understand all that. And I'm not minimizing that one bit in the world. But I mean to this. You've got children. Remember this. God's given you a chance to make something special of them. Well, what's the fourth thing? Well, the fourth thing is protection. Now, what does that mean? How do I protect my kids? Do I say that? Well, godly love protects children from what? Developing a rebellious spirit. What did he say in verse 3? He said that, Psalm 127. He said what? Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. You think about that. You say, man, I, you don't know my kids like uh, I do. Understand, they're still a reward. They're a fruit of the womb. They are definitely a reward that will be there. We can expect, by the way, that most children will at one time disobey their parents. We did. Now, don't look at me like that. You know exactly who I'm speaking to, because I'm looking at me. <laughs> you know, I did. Now, my daddy sometimes didn't know I disobeyed him, but I did. And, of course, the times I, he did find out, I got uh, just recompense for what I did. And it was just. I didn't think so at the time, but it was just. You know, there's a great verse of Scripture, Proverbs 22, 6. says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he or she should be, will not depart from it. That's a heavy verse. <laughs> Train up a child in a way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart of it. Now, let me say one thing. You can do all that right. Your kids can still rebel. You know why? Because God gave them what? There's a free will and a free choice. They can make decisions, and they make decisions sometimes bad. Did you ever make a few decisions you wish you hadn't made? Oh, yes. I did, and you did too. You say, well, how do you know that much about me? I don't have to. I know that much about me. And since I know that much about me, I know about you because you and I are what? We have one problem in common. We're human. We are human, and we have the nature in us that needs to be molded and broken and shaped by God. And you see, fathers should guard against what? Excessive reaction when it's not a war issue. There's some things that we, we have to be hard about. There's some things we have to be firm about. We don't want our kids to do that. We don't want them to get into situations like that. We want to prevent as much as we can to say, you're not going to do this. But a restrictive response is far, far less helpful than something we would do that would be sit them down, talk them, use the teachable moment. Otherwise, we're going to provoke them into anger. Think about that. Is it easy to provoke? Yes, it's easy to provoke anger. And you know, listen, I, I know, I, man, I grew up, I grew up back in those ages when I think, well, we did, we had black and white television. In fact, I remember the first colored television set. Somebody got in my neighborhood. You know what it was? It was one of those things you put on the screen, it had all the colors on it. I was dumb. But I mean, that was a color, I remember we got, we didn't get our first color TV until well after we were married. I remember, I remember the TV, little bitty screen, huge box, listen to the radio, remember all those things. Didn't have all this junk going on. But listen, we still had the same problems, a lot of them the same. Sin is still sin. It hadn't changed, folks. I'm sorry it hadn't changed, not a bit in the world. Wish it had, hadn't done. It's still the way it is. More open now than it used to be, more problems out there than it used to be now. I've never seen a time when I've seen parents more disrespectful when you think about it. In fact, the male image, guys, this is Father's Day, but you know the male image today? If you look at the male image on any of our, quote, programs, what do we come out looking like? A bunch of bozos. You know, I mean, we just, we don't know anything. And I realize, listen, I, I, I grew up 
Man, I, I was married before I realized one thing. I said, you know, my daddy wasn't as dumb as I thought he was. Remember what you used to say when you were in those teenage years and daddy would say things like, you know, uh, son, you need to be careful, blah, blah, blah. You can't do this. You need to be home. I remember when I had to be home at such and such a time. You know, and, and such and such a time, I had to be home. Now, if I had, couldn't, I had to call him somehow. Didn't have cell phones back then. Had to use a dime. Can you imagine that? A dime. Cost what? I don't know what it costs now. It used to cost a dime. But I had to call. I had to let them know, listen, we're in trouble. We can't get home in time, and I'm okay. I'm out here, you know. We are. But the reality is, man, listen, God said, look, protect your kids. Protect them. Yes, physically, from physical harm. That's what you do. You provide that protection, but protect them also. You cannot isolate your kids from the world. You can insulate them against it. You can't isolate them. You can't just cover them in. You can't keep them in a bubble. They're going to be exposed. They've, they've got to go to school. They're going to get into workplace. They're going to be exposed to all of that junk. You can't isolate them, but you can insulate them. And you look back, and I look back over my own life. There are times when I could have gotten in some very serious trouble. But I knew one thing. I had enough respect and a love for my own dad that I did not want to disappoint him. And when you think about that, you're not going to disappoint your Heavenly Father. He knows what we are anyway. But we don't need to grieve his heart. Because, listen, there is that reality of protecting our kids that will be there. Train up a child in the way he or she should go. Even when they are old, they will not depart from it. They will come back. They may be beaten up, but they'll come back. When parenting is accompanied by unconditional love, listen to this, then it is far less probable that what? Hostility, depression, or perfectionism will manifest in our children. <clears throat> also less chance of self-pity. Also less chance of promiscuity. Less chance of workaholism. I mean, I can go on and on. Less chance. I didn't say it wouldn't happen, but there's less chance of it. So that when you think about it, God's given you and me an opportunity. We can give our kids something very, very great. Very, very special. By, you know, no way am I saying that we should avoid disciplining our sons and daughters. I'm not saying that at all. We've got to discipline them. My dad disciplined me. My mom disciplined me. Your parents disciplined you. I hope so. You discipline your kids. What's that saying? Is that saying, listen, I love you enough that I'm going to discipline you because I don't want you to continue to get in trouble. In fact, this thing of discipline, let me just give you a little Bible study. Got your Bible? Turn over to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Give you a minute to find. I'm just going to use a couple of Proverbs here, and you can kind of look at them with me. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Give you a minute to find it. <clears throat> Let's talk about this matter of discipline. It says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. You say, well, when I wait a minute, you, you're talking about beating him with a rod. No, I'm not talking about beating him with a rod. I'm talking about discipline that'll be there. Sometimes it may take actual punishment. I don't know what it may be, but it depends on the, the problem, whatever it is. Then we're doing it. But he says, listen, he said, now, if you don't discipline them, if you spare the rod, you hate your child. Because by the way, how do you and I know that God loves us? Think about this. How do I know that I'm a child of his? What did he say? He said he disciplines every son that is his. Every one. If he doesn't discipline you, you're illegitimate. So I'm legitimate because he disciplines me. In a sense, he takes me to the woodshed when I need to go. And there are times I need to go. And there are times when you need to go. And he does that. So, Proverbs 13, 40. Flip on over to Proverbs 19, verse 18. Just a couple of pages to your right. Proverbs 19, verse 18. We're going to take a couple of these. He says here, he said, Discipline your son, for there is hope. <laughs> Do not set your heart on putting him to death. <laughs> don't beat the tar out of him. I mean, you know, I don't know what he's saying. Don't put him to death. That's not what he's talking about. Discipline while he's young. And you say, that's kind of harsh. Well, understand. God's carving out a people that are here. And there's something about that rebellious spirit in the child, in all of us that's there, that God wants to work out. Proverbs 22, verse 15. <clears throat> Proverbs 22, verse 15.
Proverbs 22, verse 15. He says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. In other words, what happens, it does, it drives it far from him. Now, when you think about the rod, that's, that's not just beating a child to death. I think probably, if I remember correctly, I didn't get that many spankings bad. Now, my mother was a pincher. Because there was a time when I could tighten up my cheeks. You understand, not these cheeks. You understand. I could tighten up. Mama would whack me good. Boy, she'd whack, and then she did it, and man, it hurt her hand. You say, what did Mom do? Well, she complained about her hand, but she called my daddy and said, Robert, come finish the job. <laughs> and he did. I didn't, I didn't get many, but Mom was a pincher. I didn't forget, this is a true story. Talk about how you make an impression. I was with my mother, and they were in downtown Atlanta in Davis and Paxson. You won't know what that is. It's Macy's now. It's downtown on Peachtree Street, Davis and Paxson. I was there. And I was with my mother, and I was probably about seven. I was not all that old or young, rather, but seven. I was with her. And we happened to be in the foundations department. Do you understand what that is? Your wife will explain it to you later. <clears throat> okay? I was in the foundation department, and Mom was like, well, I was flitting around. I didn't want to be there. In fact, I was embarrassed. No, I really was. I mean, here, here this kid is, and I'm in the foundations department. They're talking about stuff. Well, Mama said, she told me about two times, you need to be still and hush and wait just a minute. You're with me, and I'm going to be through in a moment. Well, you know, I rolled my eyes, something probably, I don't know. But I kept on doing what I did. Well, she didn't say anything the last, the last time. She reached over, and she got me right back here. And I tightened up as much as I could, but you know what? She hung on. She pinched the living fire out of me. You say, well, now, that wasn't a rod. No, no, I'd rather have the rod. But you see, that was discipline. You know why she did that? Well, obviously, I was annoying the stew out of her, and I was embarrassing her. One time, but she said, listen, I'm going to teach you something, buddy. <laughs> you may tighten it up. And I may not can use the hand, but I've got a weapon that can just do some damage with you. And she got a hold of me. And it made a great impression on me. In fact, I still remember that to this day. Father, he said in Ephesians 6, 4, Paul said, Fathers, do not provoke your children to what? Anger. But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them to anger. You said, now, wait a minute. No, I'm not, I'm not saying your kids won't get angry sometimes when you discipline them. They're going to be upset. I mean, they'll, they'll be that. No, you don't provoke them. You don't keep on badgering, poking, poking, poking. He said, no. He said, bring them up. Now, notice this, discipline. Notice the second word, instruction. And by the way, this is the ESV version, <clears throat> which is a little, more, a little closer to the original. Use the discipline, whatever that discipline may be, but instruct them. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why am I disciplining you? Why are you? Because I, this is part of your own protection. This is part of your own life as I'm helping you grow to become everything you need to become. You see, our parental correction is carried out, what? Under the control of love. How do we love them? We love them. We love them. If we don't do it, we don't love them. You know, I knew my parents loved me. In fact, they loved me a little too much every once in a while, but still, I knew they did because they disciplined me. That's why God loves me. I know he loves me. I know he's his child because he disciplines me. He doesn't just let me wander away and get away with stuff. Well, there's one final thing, and this is kind of the key to it. Preparation. Psalm 127, verse 4 and verse 5. <clears throat> Excuse me, this voice is getting kind of hacky today. He said, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, children are like arrows. What do you do with an arrow? Well, you take it out, you put it in a bow, you pull back, bang, you shoot it at something or somewhere. That's what he's saying. Our children are like arrows. We shoot them somewhere. Boom. 
their direction. We put them someplace. Think about that. They're there. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, and here we are now. We're in South Carolina. I was an only child. You say, boy, that man, you had it made. Yeah, I guess I did. Uh, but being an only child, I never had to share anything. I'm sorry for you, brothers and sisters. I didn't have brothers. wish I did, but still, I had enough secondhand stuff down, but didn't have to do that with the others. But anyway, they're like eras. I've got a child in, I've got a son who's in California, Dana Point, California. He's a fireman out there. I've got a middle daughter who lives in Knoxville. Well, she actually is up to Rockwood, Tennessee now on the lake up there at Watts Bar. I've got a younger daughter who lives in Simpsonville close to me. All those are eras. They're eras that are shot out. God's blessed us with nine grandchildren, four great-grandchildren. You know, and somebody said, your quiver is full. I guess so. You know, but I tell you what, they're eras. They're eras that have been shot to other places. Yeah, I wish they were all here. I'm thinking about today. I, I have, I'm looking forward to hearing them. I'll get to spend some time with one, the one here in Simpsonville. My, I'll talk to my son in California. I'll see him in a few weeks in July. My middle girl, I'll see her also probably a little bit later on in July, early August. So I'll get back up there with him. But, you know, you think about it, there are errors that will sit that way. So accepting one's children as they are, listen to me, prepares them to develop good relationships. Good relationships. There are errors out there as they are. You know, you may have an All-American. You may not. You may have just a good old average Joe that works hard somewhere. I, you know, it doesn't matter. Could be a farmer, could be a school teacher. I don't know what you've got. But you know, the beauty of it is God gave you that child and he gave them that personality that'll be there. We're all different. We're all different. And I'm glad we're different. We're different in the fact that we're wired differently. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. We have different personalities. Well, wouldn't it be dull if we were all the same, we all came here like little wooden Indians, and we all just acted the same way, did the same thing? Man, that'd be dull, wouldn't it? You say, man, I'd, I'd like to try it once in a while. No, it'd be dull. It'd be pretty dull to have that. But we don't. We're different. You see, dad's warmth, dad's fatherly affection, that kind of, you grow up as a feeling, acceptance that'll be there. And you know, I know that, man, you, you know, you want to raise your sons to be men. You want to be careful to you. You don't want to be too affectionate. Why? What's wrong with that? My son is, whoo, anyway, he's old. <laughs> he's older. Every time I see him, still kiss on the cheek, same way we do that. Why? This is a boy on boy. Why? Because that's just the way we're raised, the way I was raised. That'll be that. That's good. That's okay. You know, and, and hey, it's all right. Shake a hand. That's fine. However you're comfortable. Listen, let that kid know that you think of him, he's something special or she is something special. Doesn't matter what they're going to be. And they may be great. They may be, they may grad, graduate college magna cum laude. They graduated college. Thank you, Lordy. They got out, graduate high school. I don't know what they'll be. God does. God molded that. God gave them to you as a parent. Not some biological event, but the fact that God said, listen, here is something I gave you. Now mold, shape, point this child, shoot that arrow somewhere that that arrow counts someplace. And, you know, and, and I'm grateful, you know, in a way, I am grateful in the fact I've got mission, I got mission kids today. One, I've got missionaries in California, one in Tennessee, and one in Simpson. I've got missionaries that'll be there. Thank goodness the ocean is not between us, but other people do. Other people do that. They do it willingly and loving because they're shooting an arrow. And some are shooting an arrow into places that you and I would never, ever be. When you think about marriage, think about that. Marriage. What gives marriage confidence? What gives marriage security? Well, it does it because your upbringing has wholly shaped you somewhere that you're not going to be demanding that'll be there. You're not growing up in that situation. Oh, I know, you know, yeah, there's a biological attraction. I mean, for crying out loud, there is a biological attraction. You're attracted to each other. That's, but that's not it. That's not it. 
Somebody said, man, when the honeymoon's over, it's all downhill. Baloney. Baloney's a good Greek word. Baloney. When the honeymoon's over, guess what? Life is on the upswing. Marriage ought to be that way. Oh, it's not as maybe goosey-goosey as it used to be, but hey, it's still what it is. Because you love each other. And God gave you that mate for life. But you think about it, here are two people now, they've been rejected all their life. Growing up with all that image that'll be there. They come together, they get married. And into that marriage, that marriage becomes now a blissful place. It becomes a battleground. Why? It's not because they want to do that. It's not because they want to have this battle all the time. It is because they just don't know how to exist any other way. They're always battling. They're always at each other because that's the way they were brought up. Small things kind of trigger that annoyance. Small things kind of trigger that thing that'll be there. And it gets us on that place that, boy, we're out of whack. And the next thing you know, we're at each other's throat all the time. Kids come into that environment. They grow up in the same thing, and usually that is how their life is. Go back to Psalm 127. Let me just read these five verses again. One more time for you. Now it says, unless the Lord builds the house. Now that's critical. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless he builds the home. That doesn't mean necessarily he's out there as a contractor. But the Lord builds the house from the foundation up. Those who build it labor in vain. God has to do it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Because God's the protector that will be there, folks. It is vain that you rise up early and you go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Then he says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You know what that means? Children are God's gift to us. Why in the world do we celebrate Father's Day? Well, you're not a father until you have kids, children. That makes you a father, whatever. And I know, I know people who never had any children of their own, but yet they were like a father figure to a lot of kids. So children are a gift that God gives us, and he gives it to us. So what does that mean in my life? Well, number one, that means I invest my life. I invest my life in them. I'm giving to them. And, you know, when I give to them, I'm giving to them, Lord, something that is very, very important, something they can take with them through eternity and all the way to eternity. I want to give them me, my time, my effort to be. I want to give them me. I want to be able to listen when they do. Our time was kind of at home, and this is even during the ministry, our time was uh, around the supper table. Now, it was funny some of the conversation we get engaged in. I mean, it was really, but it was kind of when we unpacked the day. At that time, the phone was off limits. I didn't take any phone calls. You had an emergency, fine, you could wait. You say, well, is that right for a minister? My children are more important than that other situation, because quite frankly, the other situation, as bad as it could be, still is okay because I want to make sure they know one thing that the most important this side of person inside of heaven is their mother and them I want them to know that now how do they know that they know that because I give them my I invest my life into them I'm pouring it there I'm giving them time I'm helping them I'm teaching them I look back over the things that my own dad taught me to do he was really gifted and I look back on those things that'll be there and it was such an impression of my life in fact 1 John 3.16 says this. 1 John, not John, but 1 John. He said, by this we know love. How? Well, that he laid, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, the sisters, whoever. We lay those lives down. We sacrificially do it. We protect our family. We provide for our family. We do these things because we want them to receive what they So we give them our life. But you know the second thing? T-I-M-E. Now, it's not so much quantity, but it's quality. But we give them time. And, and I'm not talking about the time that we sort of give, you know, uh, 
the kind of time I'm talking about is the kind of time that they see is a sacrifice. That we're actually giving something of ourselves to them, our time, and it's valuable because, quite frankly, we're having to say, okay, I'm going to put something aside. It'll, it'll wait. It can be. I'll pick it up another time. I'll get finished another time. It'll be there instead of saying, no, I can't do that right now. I can't come out right now. I've got too much to do. I can't do it. You know, we share the interest with that person. Why? Because what we're saying is, it's important to you. It's important to me. I need to listen. I need to listen with my total being. How do you listen with your total being? You ever notice people like that? Look in the eyes. You know good and well, they're not the least bit listening to you. They're thinking, man, if I could just get through this thing, I've got somewhere else to go. I'm talking about give your kids some time. Let them know it's important. Play with them. Get in the, do some of those dumb things you think about, you know. And you do them because, why? You love it. You want to do that with your kids. That's what the Father does to us. God loves it when his children, I'm talking about us as believers, God loves it when his children want to enjoy him. Do you enjoy him? Do you enjoy the Father? Then help your children enjoy you as a dad. Now listen to this statement, and I'm going to close out. When we follow the Holy Spirit, guidance. Our actions, our attitudes, and forward-focused attention can demonstrate unconditional love. The greatest gift that a dad can give his children is unconditional loving acceptance. Because, you know, sometimes you don't have them with you long. Sometimes they, they're gone. I did an interim up into, in Arrowwood Baptist Church up in Chesney, South Carolina. I was the interim up there. and David Rita Reams had a boy. He had just good kid, good kid, good-looking kid, healthy kid. Had some problems, got involved in some drug issues early on in his life, got through that, on the road to straighten his life out, tragically killed in an automobile accident. 18 years old, gone. And they still grieve over him. I remember going by the house, and I remember just sitting there, and I'm thinking, I wish I could say something profound. <laughs> I'm thinking this to myself. I wish I could say something profound that would take the hurt away. No words to do that. But you know, there was something about their reality that was there. They were hurting, but yet they didn't blame God. They didn't get mad at God. But they understood that somehow God had a purpose, God had a plan, and God was going to bring them through this to a greater day. And he's on that process now. It's been about three years. He's still working. They're getting better. They'll never get completely over it. It doesn't happen. But you think about that. Children are a gift from the Lord. Treasure every moment we have with them. That's your greatest gift. Unconditional, loving acceptance. That's how God loves you. That's how God loves me. If God didn't love me that way, folks, I'd bust hell wide slap open. What I deserve is not what God's going to give me. What I deserve is death, separation from him. That's what I deserve. But you see, his grace says, no, my son paid your price on that cross. He paid that price because you can't pay the price, and you're not going to have to pay the price. But if you'll accept my son, you'll believe my son, and you'll follow my son, you'll trust him. Eternity awaits you. Eternity with me, and eternity with him. Father God, I thank you that the greatest gift was given by the greatest giver. And Father, you gave it to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, what you gave us, we sure don't deserve. But I thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the blessing. Thank you for the honor. Thank you for the chance, Lord, just to take a little time and kind of walk through some practical stuff today and Father, I wish that uh, I could say I passed the test on all these. I don't. 
I have failed. I've repented. And you've always been there, Lord, to discipline me, but to love me. And Father, I pray that for these dear people today. Thank you. It's Father's Day. And I know, Lord, that uh, maybe even here, not everybody can look back and maybe have had a good experience with their dad. Yet their dad loved them, but maybe he just didn't know how. I don't know what that means or what they're affected by. But I know, Lord God, that you love us. And you love us in such a way. And all we need to do is look to the cross. Because the cross clearly tells us how much you love you, love me, and you love all these dear people. So, Father, thank you today for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for our dads. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and in a moment we're going to stand, we're going to sing an invitation hymn, and that's what it is. It's a chance for you to respond. What that means is that you need to take a moment, look at your life. Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you know that you have a relationship with him? Has there been a time in your life, and you may not remember the day and the hour, I'm not talking about it, but has there been a time that you met him and you gave him your life. You repented of your sin. You turned away from that sin. You came to him in faith. Oh, your life has been ups and downs. I understand that. Mine has too. But your desire is to follow him. Has there been a time like that? I pray so. If not, if not, I'll be right here. I'll be here doing this invitation. I'll be more than happy to pray with you. But it can be right where you are, in that pew where you sit. That can become your altar. You can say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin has separated me from you. And I'm sorry for every one of them. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I receive you into my life right now as my Lord and my Savior. Come in and save me. Help me to become that person you desire me to become. Friend, you can pray a prayer like that. Your own words. You don't have to pray that necessarily, but something like that. Give me life. Again, it's baptism. Have you been baptized as a believer? Have you given an honest confession that your old life is gone, buried with Christ in baptism of the death, that you've been raised to walk in newness of life? Church membership? Is that important? Oh, yes, it is. Where you belong? And that may be here, maybe not. You've prayed about it. You believe God's leading here, then listen. Put your life here in this church. Get involved with them, become part of them. Here's an altar across here today. If you need to talk to him, if you need to pray, whatever you need to do, if you need to do anything publicly, you can do it privately. It doesn't matter. You do business with him. Leave here in the next few moments knowing one thing, that you had an encounter with the living God that has changed your life. And you're going to leave here to go out into a world that desperately needs a witness from changed people who've had their lives changed by the grace of God. Fathers, into your hands we put this invitation time. We're not going to manipulate a course or try any way whatsoever, Lord. It's up to you. Holy Spirit, do your work. Bring people to you. Seeds are planted. The word will not return void. Thank you for what you're going to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. What are we going to sing, brother? Only trust him. Let's stand.